I do have chocolate here, and I know um, people like chocolate. I want to um, make sure that we're all on the same page, and um, so we're all up to speed. Give us an, for a prize of a chocolate egg. Who can tell me what are we studying at the moment? What are we What are we going through? This is an easy one. Starting off easy, Brendan. Genesis, fantastic. Well done. You can, yeah. <laughs> um, next one, getting harder. What's, what's been the theme of Genesis? What have we sort of been looking at in Genesis? What sort of what have we been looking at? Hmm, got to think for this one. Judy? Yeah, sort of, um, yeah, the important people. Yeah, yeah, some important people. It's not what I've got written down, so I'm gonna, not going to give you an egg. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, anything else? What's sort of been the overall sort of theme? Hmm. So what was that? Ah, I love it. Well done, John. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Judy might need to go and see you. <laughs> uh, well done. God's, God's promises and God's faithfulness. Um, God has made some incredible promises um, and we've seen how God has been faithful with those promises. Despite what some people think, the world isn't um, spiralling into a, some random direction. God is in full control and fulfilling every, every promise. There's never an oops moment with God, never a plan B. It's, there's no, you can't sort of surprise God. Um, when Abraham took matters into his own hands and, and took um, Hagar and slept with her, when, when Jacob stole his brother's birthright, when, uh, when Laban tricked um, Jacob and swapped wives, there wasn't in, in heaven, um, God didn't say, uh-oh, what are we going to do now? Um, you can't surprise God. Although our plans may change, God doesn't. He's always faithful with every promise. All right, another egg. Uh, who can tell us what we're looking at, sort of focusing um, today? Last week we started looking at a particular person. We've read the Bible ring, so this one's pretty easy. What are we looking at today? Which person? Jacob, fantastic. What well on Kylie? Ooh. I've got one more here, so if you listen carefully, um, you might get one at the end. Maybe. Um, so last week, uh, we are following um, Jacob's life, and uh, last week we looked at his encounter with God. Um, we read in chapter 28 of God's promise to Jacob to be with him to bless him and to bring him back to the promised land. Jacob responded to God's call and declares God to be his God. And in relation to Jacob's spiritual life, I guess you could call this his conversion. This week, um, we're going to continue on with Jacob, but before God allows Jacob to return and enter the promised land, God refines Jacob, a process known, I guess, as sanctification, setting him apart. God's going to have to break Jacob's confidence in himself and in his own abilities and once and for all so that he may move forward in complete reliance upon God's power and blessing alone. Thanks Tracy for reading the text this morning. Um, If we had time we'd read the whole whole lot but we we haven't had time. So make sure you've got your Bibles open um, and and, um, we'll follow along with that. At school... Um, when we're teaching students how to write a story, uh, the first thing we ask them to do is to write a plan. Now, a typical plan has a hero and a villain. 
the hero is, you know, he's the good guy, he's the goody, and uh, he always does the right thing, cares for other people, fights for justice. Um, they may have been mistreated and so we kind of feel sorry for them, but they're the ones that we're, we're cheering for. They're the ones we want to see come out on top. In this story, however, it's hard to work out who the hero really is. Remember, Jacob means deceiver. He's a liar, he's a cheater and he's a thief. On the other hand, we've got Laban and he's just as much a scandal as Jacob. So who's the hero? Who's the good guy? If you're in God's position, who would you support? Who would you bless? It's a tricky question. If you, think, if you think about who you love, who you invest time in, it's usually the people who are nice to us, isn't it? The people that treat us the way that we want to be treated. Well, Jacob is God's chosen man to receive the promise and the blessings. He's not the likely candidate. He's lived far from a righteous life. In fact, he's a pretty selfish guy. But remember the bigger picture. God is keeping his covenant promise. He's redeeming his people. Jacob doesn't deserve grace, but God is keeping his promise and blessing Abraham's descendants. God loves everyone, even the villains. You may think that's not fair and why should God bless dishonest people? But remember, but remember, before you start sort of waving your arms in uproar and sort of saying, you know, this isn't fair... That's exactly what we are. If you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, God has given you a chance. Anything good that we have is by God's grace. Last week we looked at God blessing him with children. This week we're going to look at how God blesses him with animals. Now remember, Jacob didn't, come, didn't, didn't have any money. He came to Iran with nothing. But now he has a family And in chapter 30 and verse 25, we read that Jacob wants to go home. I don't know why he wants to go home because uh, remember back in Canaan, that's where his brother is and that's who wants to kill him. Um, But if he wants to leave, I guess that means that Laban's probably treating him pretty bad. Sounds like he's a bit of a, a lousy boss and he's had enough. Being a shrewd businessman, um, Laban doesn't want to let Jacob go. But he knows that God is blessing him. He sees Jacob as, as a cash cow. The longer I keep Jacob around, the more I will be blessed. Remember God's promise to Jacob in Genesis 28:14. He says, All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. So those who live around God's blessed people... Um, are going to be blessed as well and that's what's happening with Laban. He's reaping the rewards. So Laban says, what shall I give you? In other words, name the price. Can you imagine your boss saying to you, look, we value you so much that here's an open cheque. Write whatever you want. Jacob has a family but has no assets. He wants a flock of his own. So he proposes a deal to go to go through the flock and keep any irregular sheep and goats. Now, in this region, the dominant colour of lambs, um, sorry, the, the dominant colour of sheep was, um, was white and goats are black. 
So sheep are white, goats are black. Jacob is asking for every dark coloured lamb and every white speckled goat. Um, And so this is only like a small shed. Uh, He wasn't asking for much. Um, Some experts say that being generous, it's about sort of 20%, 20% of the livestock. So Laban still gets to keep the majority. Now this deal also comes with a built-in anti-theft guarantee. Jacob says, if you find a solid white sheep or a black goat in your flock, you'll know that I've stolen it. Which I think is pretty ironic that Jacob gives a promise because uh, he says, Jacob says, my honesty will answer for me. And we've all, we all know about um, Jacob's honesty. We can never count on that, can we? Laban thinks this is a foolproof scheme. Let's think about it from his perspective. His most valuable employee is going to stay on for 20% share and there's an anti-theft guarantee put in place to secure your investment. Sound good, Lee? Yeah? Um, So Laban agrees. But Laban doesn't take any chances. In verse 35, we read that if he removes all the multicoloured animals, the ones Jacob would inherit, and gives them to his sons and sends them off on a three-day journey, separating um, the ones that Jacob would have had with the rest of the pack, rest of the flock. So having separated, having separated them, um, you can sort of imagine Laban sort of rubbing his hands together, thinking, you know, I'm such a clever businessman, there's no way that um, Jacob's going to have any, um, take any of my flock. But little did he, did he know that God was blessing and promising um, his promises were, were being fulfilled. What about Jacob when he went to the flock to actually get his, um, his share? Can you imagine his reaction when he went to sort out the sheep and the goats and claim his and he didn't find any? Maybe he was regretting the deal he just made. I'm sure it would have, it would have been a reminder of the way that he treated Esau He'd cheated his brother. Now Jacob had been Jacobed. Now he's on the other side. It would appear that God is teaching the lesson. I'm sure Jacob could remember the encounter that he had with God at Bethel and the promise that um, he'd made there in chapter 28. But now we read in verse 37, when it comes to the crunch time, Jacob takes matters into his own hands. We read that Jacob takes rods or sticks and and peels away the bark and exposes the inner white of the wood and he puts them in the water troughs right where the um, herd breeds. And so when they do come and and drink the water and they they breed, this is going to influence the colour of their offspring. Huh? Using white sticks to influence the colour? Don't know about this. I guess it's it's a form of superstition. What happened to trusting in God? Are you guys superstitious? Ever based your choices on horoscopes? Crushed your fingers? Touched wood? Held a horseshoe a particular way? Worn your lucky jocks? They're all just silly quirks, but they all show a deficiency in faith. Superstition is a lack of faith. Instead of relying on God and trusting in Him, 
Jacob was taking things in his own, into his own hands. He wanted control. Whether it's a form of superstition or your own strength, where do you turn to when things don't look good? What do you do when you've been robbed? What do you do when you've been made redundant? What do you do when you've been told you have a terminal illness? In relation to Jacob's flock, you would expect nothing to happen and God not support him. But it's interesting, God, instead, of, instead of God sort of cursing him, or, or um, he, he chooses to, to bless him. We read in verse 43 that Jacob grew exceedingly, exceedingly prosperous and came to own large flocks, servants, camels and donkeys. Is God looking at Jacob's situation, seeing how Laban has treated him and sort of thought, well, he kind of deserves it, there was an agreement there and so, um, you know, I guess I'll, he didn't trust me but I guess he deserves it? Is God approving of what he does? I don't think so. I don't think so. God is committed to something bigger here. God is being faithful to his promise. Just because you may be successful doesn't mean God approves of the way you get there. A person getting a promotion, a business increasing its profits, a church growing in numbers. What is a measure of success? Position? Money? Numbers? We need to be careful not to equate our successes or our failures with an ability to please God. God wants each one of us, believers in Christ, to be successful in our willingness to do his will and ultimately give control over to him. When we strive to know and love our Saviour, to conform to his image, we please God. But earthly successes do not merit God's approval. That's not to say that, that he is indifferent to our striving. He's more concerned about our faithfulness though. We, need to walk, we, need, we must walk by faith, not by works. When I was younger, I can remember leading youth group and uh, getting so fixated on, on numbers and how many young people were coming along. Um, I used to think that having lots of people coming along meant that God was blessing our ministry. But I lost the focus. I was more interested in getting youth along than actually making disciples. Now, I'm not saying that having a thriving ministry is a bad thing. Not at all. Not at all. But when numbers take away our focus from being faithful to teaching God's word and sharing the gospel, well, then we've lost the plot. Now, I'm not saying we did this, but if we did advertise for, for free beer um, and you know, to everyone that came along to, to youth, I'm sure we'd probably get a, a full house. Um, but... Is that, is that the point? To get numbers? As our church moves into a new era with Dave and Bev and Brent and Rachel, um, I'm really excited. I'm really excited to see what God's going to do. Um, I want to see our church here in Monty to reach our community, to reach the ends of the world. 
but let us not lose focus of being faithful to God and obedient to him. Back to the story. Jacob's flocks have increased despite Laban removing all the speckled and spotted goats and black sheep. Now, how is this possible? How do white sheep produce black ones? Well, clearly God was in control here. If genetics is the mechanism, then God was controlling the mechanism. For example, let's go back to secondary school, back to biology, when you guys, um, when we did um, genetics. You might remember that blue eyes um, is a recessive, um, recessive genetic trait, and brown eyes are a dominant gene. Now, if two parents that both got brown eyes um, were to produce a, a, a child with blue eyes, uh, they would both need to have blue eyes as a recessive trait in their individual genetic makeup. So the possibility is not likely, um, one in four, but it's still possible. As I said before, gen- genetics is a mechanism that God is, contro- that God is controlling. Proverbs 21.30 says, There is no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. This plan works so quickly and effectively because God was causing the breed to flourish. Not Jacob, but God. God is being faithful to his promises. He blesses when he, when he says he will bless. That's what he did for Jacob. And if we look in the mirror, that's what he does for us. The message of the Bible is not rather you or I or Jacob or Laban are the good guy. It's that Jesus Christ is. The rest of us are just a cast of villains. But Jesus loves the villains. Jesus has lived and died and risen again for the villains. He changes villains. He changes them for his glory. And that's what he did for Jacob that's what he does for us. Moving on to chapter 31. God asked Jacob to return to the land of his fathers. God has been with Jacob and blessed him and now promises to continue to be with him as he returns. From Jacob's thinking, from Jacob's perspective, what does he do? The place he's living in is unpleasant. Laban and his family are starting to grumble against him. Um, But back at home, his brother wants to kill him. He's sort of between a rock and a hard place. But Jacob obeys God and decides to go. But instead of being up front with Laban and taking God at his word, Jacob shows a lack of faith. He shows a lack of faith, I believe, by sneaking away. Jacob has witnessed firsthand of God being with him and being faithful with his promises, but he's not willing to give full control to God. He's a coward and ends up putting his family in danger. How would you respond? How do you respond when God calls you? Do you give him full control? Or do you still just give him a little bit? We read that Jacob sends words to his wives, Rachel and Leah, to pack their things, get your things, it's time to go. On the way out, Rachel steals Laban's gods, uh, yeah, Laban's idols. Now, there's two problems with this. First problem is, if you can steal someone's god, well, they're pretty wimpy, aren't they? Um, 
So it's pretty worthless. Second problem is, by stealing Laban's guards, he's sort of arousing his anger. Now he's not exactly a, a friendly guy. He's possessive, he's greedy, and he wants everything for himself. So any chance of getting away quietly um, is gone. What is Laban going to do to Jacob now? We read in verse 23 that Laban rounds up his kinsmen and chases Jacob. This doesn't look good. We read that Laban pursued them. I don't think he just wants to talk. He could even be in the mood to kill him. Jacob is now stuck between two people that want to harm him. His life's in jeopardy. What's God going to do now? How's God going to keep his promises? We read that God warns Laban in a dream and forbids him to hurt Jacob or or even to deter him from his purpose. He says, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Now the same phrase is used in chapter 24 when Laban says clearly that this is from the Lord when he's talking about um, Rebekah being taken to be Isaac's wife. What does he mean by this? Well, he recognises that this is part of God's plan. This is going to be accomplished. God always gets his way. Remember back to other events in um, Genesis that we've heard about when Abraham in front of um, Pharaoh, king of Egypt and Isaac with Abimelech, king of Gerar. Nothing and no one gets in the way of God's will. Nothing. Well, Laban is still, is still very hot-headed and in verses 26 to 30 we see Laban interrogating Jacob. What have you done? You've deceived me. You've taken my family away and you've stolen my gods. The only thing holding me back right now is your God. If you watch the footy, you've probably seen a, a brawl or a fight and you've seen how one guy is quite keen to get in there and um, throw a few punches and his teammates are sort of holding him back um, to stop him from getting in trouble or reported. Well, I can kind of picture Laban sort of approaching Jacob, furious and um, ready to attack, but God is holding him back. God's words are all that were needed. Laban can't touch him. Are you afraid of people rather than God? Do you worry what people think of you if you stand up for them? Don't worry over the consequences of any action you take in obedience to God. God will deal with the people you fear. The only true security in life is to be in the centre of his, consci- of his will, consciously obeying his present command. Proverbs 16.7 says, When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies live at peace with him. Well, how does Jacob respond? Jacob says, You got me. I did sneak away, but I was afraid. I was afraid of getting hurt. He was doubting God's promises. Jacob isn't often right, but this time he is. And in verse 42, he says, If God hadn't been for me, 
from start to finish, I would have nothing. But God has protected me and blessed me. Well, a friendly agreement was reached. An altar was built, named by Laban Jagatha Haditha, the Aramaic equivalent of the Hebrew Galil, meaning heap of witness. This served as a visible reminder for Jacob and Laban what, what the agreement that they'd made. Um, they had a covenant um, to go their separate ways in peace and goodwill. So here we have it, another story of God using mighty acts to save his people. To summarise Jacob's life, God has been, uh, sorry, Jacob has been living outside the promised land under the rule of Laban where he mistreats him and oppresses him. God sees his difficulties. God takes pity on him and uses mighty acts to, to deliver him and they partake in a banquet ceremony as a covenant. For us as Christians, we have a similar story. We're living outside the promised land under the bondage of sin. But God has seen our plight. God has had mercy on us and used mighty acts to deliver us. We will be taken out of this world to the promised land and partake in a glorious banquet. God is faithful to his big plan. Is Jacob ready to trust God? It's interesting in verse 42 Jacob says if the God of my father the God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac Jacob doesn't say my God he's the God of everyone else but his. For the past 20 years Jacob has been going through a refining process and now God's sovereign grace is going to challenge that. In the next chapter before he returns to Canaan we will see God bringing him to a point where he surrenders his whole life, giving God full control. As disciples, we have a similar calling. If we are to follow Christ, we must take certain steps. The first step is to respond to his call. We must leave everything behind and follow. The next step is to deny yourself. Bonhoeffer writes in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, to deny oneself is to be aware only of Christ and no more of self, to see only him who goes before and no more the road which is too, far, which is too hard for us. Once more, all that self-denial can say is, he leads the way, keep close to him. At first, Jacob saw God as a, as a distant family legend, something that his parents talked about. He recognised his, his name, but um, didn't really know him personally. Later on, um, Jacob met God and um, it seemed as though life was a bit like a, um, a bike ride. But this bike ride the bike that was being used was a tandem bike. And, uh, and when, at the start, when, God, when Jacob was in control, he was in the front and uh, he was sort of directing the path. He was in control, he could steer 
and um, life was actually pretty predictable. Pretty boring, but pretty predictable. And um, after a series of events, uh, they ended up swapping positions. Jacob moved back to, back here. And God was moved into the front seat. Back here, um, it's, it's pretty scary because you can't control where you go. You just have to hang on. Um, and <coughs> all God asked him to do was to pedal. All he asked him to do was to pedal. I want you to think about where is God on your bike? Where is God sitting? Up here, um, you've got the handlebars that you can turn, you've got the brakes to slow down when things get a bit tight. If you want to go fast, I've got gears, you know. Here, this feels, this feels good. feels like I'm in control here. Um, but is it really where God wants us to be? Back here, it, it's scary. In the hands of the person that's uh, in front. When I'm here, I, um, I get quite anxious and scared and I ask Jesus, um, where are you taking me? And Jesus, Jesus doesn't say anything. He just tells me to trust him. Um, but being back here, after a while I, I learn to trust him. We, Jesus takes me on journeys that are exciting. We go to places. Um, he, he, he takes me to people that have gifts and people give us gifts that, uh, that I need, gifts of, of love and joy and acceptance. But Jesus tells me to get rid of those because they're, they're just extra, extra weight. And so I give them to other people. And um, that makes the, the load actually easier. As we're, as we're travelling along, I, um, when I feel like giving up, Jesus just turns to me and says, Keep pedaling. Just keep pedaling. Bev, I think you've got a song to sing. Thanks. <laughs> 